Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by George Abreu, who has over 1,720 doors on the GP side and over 1,400 doors on the LP side. With so much experience on the active as well as the passive side, you'll definitely want to listen in to this whole episode to get his perspective on these topics. So George, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on. Somebody that's you know had a ton of experience in this space, and you know from passive as well as the active side. I'm really excited to jump in here. So I'll give you a little bit of an intro. So George has been investing in real estate for over 14 years now. He's currently an active and passive full-time multifamily real estate investor. As I've mentioned, he's already he's got over 1,700 doors on the GP side, 1,400 plus doors on the LP side. He is the CEO of Elevate Commercial Investment Group and also owns a construction company, JNT Construction, that focuses on helping multifamily investors with their full renovations. So his goal is to reach 10,000 doors by the end of 2021 by creating strategic partnerships and implementing the proper systems in place for scalability. He's focused on, con- focused on continuing to grow his network and locate more co-GP partners, passive investors, and also clients for his construction company. So. George, you've accomplished so much already. You've got ambitious goals, right? Like to to get to 10,000 by the end of 2021, there's a a lot of growth ahead of you. So yeah, could you kind of, you know, share a little bit about your story, how you ended up here, how you got into real estate investing and give a little bit of the backstory. Definitely, definitely. Um, You know, I got into, I got started with real estate. It was about 15 years ago now, Um, going to college. I was starting to be electrical engineer and at some point i realized i didn't want to be an engineer um so i started uh, doing some research on just different successful individuals um and a lot of them it kept going back to real estate investing whether they built their wealth through real estate investing or if it just kind of complemented it and, and helped them um so i I started focusing on on real estate investing and started doing some deals while I was still um, finally graduated and got a job in UPS in their engineering department. Um, And I was doing uh, deals on the side until finally I felt like I was doing enough consistent deals and decided to quit my W2. Then started doing investing full time. really grew a liking to the fix and flips and kind of made that my main focus while still wholesaling and and doing some holds. Um, But to scale that fix and flip is when I decided to open a construction company. I got burned a couple of times by a contractor and I realized if I had it in-house, it was gonna make it a lot easier to scale. Um, So we did that, it was doing quite a bit of, of single family deals a year. And then um, about four years back, I uh, looked back at everything I had done and I realized I hadn't quite built 
that generational wealth that I wanted, that I wanted to, and that I seeked to do in the beginning. Um, everything I was doing was very transactional from one deal to the next. Um, and then that's when I got, I got turned on to multifamily syndications. So before then I didn't even realize you can syndicate a deal and bring all these investors together and take down these large properties. Um, so as soon as I found out about that, I started doing a lot of research, educated myself, um, hired a coach, and then um, started doing large multifamily and haven't looked back since. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing story. You kind of been in this space for a long time, you know, kind of hearing about how you started out in the engineering route and you're like, ah, oh, this might not be for me. Actually, I come from a, a family of engineers and it was always something that I'm like, well, my dad was in it. He has his engineering company. A couple of my siblings went down that road as well. And it was always kind of that question that people would ask, like, oh, are you going to go that road? Are you going to go work as an engineer? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just never had a, a, a passion to do it. I grew up kind of working in the construction around that and kind of exposed to it, but uh, never had the passion to do all the math involved in physics and stuff with with engineering. But uh, yeah, I had a, a liking to, to business and, and real estate kind of like struck a chord with me. So I'm glad I kind of ended up in this route, still kind of tied to that that industry, but uh, more on the investing side of things. So um, could you actually, did that engineering background, did that kind of help you in your, in your journey? I mean, it obviously helped in your construction side of things, but talk about that and how that's actually benefited you in your construction as well as your uh, real estate investing. I mean, I'm, I've always been good with numbers and that's what kind of made me go down that path as far as engineering. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely helped me with at least having that mindset of um, being able to analyze deals quickly and um, just being able to see the numbers within a deal. Um, and then the actual, so the position I was with at UPS in the engineering department, I mean, it was more of a general contractor for UPS. You know, I would manage all their construction and their additions to the warehouses. And if they had any large uh, CapEx, like uh, replacing a roof or something like that. Um, so that actually helped gain experience for when I went to open my construction company. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't, regret it you know i think it's it's helped yeah it's amazing yeah and i even though i didn't go that road i i went um on the analytical side as well like i actually went into accounting first but i mean it's been really beneficial to be able to analyze deals understand the numbers you know from how much you're cash flowing on a deal being able to look at a pro forma and all that thing all that stuff and i'm sure like you said that engineering background has really helped you understand the, the construction but also the analytical side of real estate investing. So what, what was that trigger that you kind of learned about syndications or how did you get introduced to this world? Did you come in, you know, on the passive side first to kind of get your feet wet or, or how did that start? Um, yeah, I guess, I think it, it first came when, um, so on the construction company, uh, we started working with some multifamily investors and some, uh, started doing more commercial than residential at one point. And one of our clients was a uh, multifamily syndicator and 
he's the one that I think first introduced me to the concept. Um, and then I started, you know, doing my research from there. But uh, what was the other question? Sorry. There was a two parts of that. Yeah, sorry about that. Like, I was kind of curious, like you learned about it, you heard about it. But, um, you know, how did you jump in? Was it on the passive side right away? Because I know I, you're, yeah. you indicated you're, you're active as well as passive. So do you kind of dip your toes in, you know, on the passive side or, or how did that all start? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I did. So, you know, while I was learning to do the underwriting and just understanding everything there is about uh, multifamily investing, I did decide to go ahead and invest passively. First, it was to to just get a feel for it and, and to, you know, see the other side. Um, so when I started doing it, I knew what a passive investor would want. Um, and then I started seeing the tax benefits and the returns. So then I started investing more just to invest. Um, but at the same time, while looking for deals, so I mean, I ended up um, landing my first deal, I think maybe after my second passive investment. And then um, I still invest passively in, in other groups deals to this day. Yeah. And could you highlight some of those benefits that, I mean, a lot of people aren't aware of, of passive investing and, and how to get into these deals. But I mean, I feel like the world is kind of opening up and more people are becoming familiar with it. And it's through platforms like this, podcasting and, and stuff that people can become familiar with, with uh, the, the real benefits of passive investing. Can you kind of highlight what kind of drew you to the passive side uh, to start and kind of what are some of those benefits if somebody's kind of on the sidelines and looking at it and being like, hey, what, what is passive investing and how do I get involved and what are these benefits associated? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, most individuals, when they think um, investments, um, they have their retirement plans. Um, and compared to multifamily, um, on average, your returns are just much better in multifamily versus having it in a 401, um, some type of retirement plan. Um, and then you have your stocks, which, yeah, stocks could be great, but when they fall, they fall hard. Um, so I think just, you know, being aware of that and then that doesn't even count your, your tax benefits. So, I mean, um, if the deal you're investing in, if they're doing a cost seg and a bonus depreciation, you know, I've seen anywhere we had one deal that was over a hundred percent, meaning of losses, meaning you invest hundred K you're getting more than hundred K in losses um for that first tax year and then you got to go into more detail whether you can claim that full amount or not um but if you can i mean it's massive yeah and that's often the hidden feature of real estate investing that some people just don't even know about but i mean on top of the fact that you're getting this great cash flow consistent distributions and you know the upside that are can be realized from doing value add plays or just holding onto a property and paying down the debt. You're, you're growing your equity, you're getting appreciation and then, you know, slap on the fact that you get great tax benefits of, you know, like you said, you can, you can take on some of these losses and, and receive a lot of this um, very tax efficiently, the cash flow. So yeah, it's definitely a world that, I mean, I've seen grow a lot. I think we both have seen it grow a lot in the last little while. And I think there's a lot more room to grow as well as more people become familiar with, with these types of opportunities. So 
Can you talk about, um, so you, you started your construction company and then you started getting involved in syndications. How have you kind of teamed up and created that synergy of actually applying that constr your construction experience in your company to actually go and manage the renovations that you guys are taking on within your syndication projects? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, whenever I decide to come into any space or um, start any of the businesses I've started, I'm always looking for, okay, where is there a gap that I can fill? Um, kind of did the same here with, with multifamily. And right away, I noticed that a lot of the groups that were taking down these properties didn't have the construction experience. And they're playing, you know, they have these million dollar budgets, million plus um, of money to spend on the properties and they've got no experience in construction. And most of them were just trusting the property manager who's not a construction company um, to manage these, these massive renovations. Um, so right away, I, I saw a gap right there that I can easily come in um, with my experience and get that budget down, uh, make sure that you don't get burned, you know, and, and um, so I've, I've definitely leveraged the construction company to um, get into some partnerships and um, make sure we get the, the CapEx done right. Yeah, and did you, like you said, kind of that aspect of not getting burned by a property manager, just out of curiosity, did you go that route at first and try utilizing another property manager to manage your CapEx and renovations, or did you kind of go right away and jump in with having your construction company manage all your CapEx projects? Yeah, I mean, I, I went right away. I wasn't gonna take the chance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so on that note, like, what are some of the keys of running a successful value add renovation? Like what are, you know, how do you make sure that your CapEx goes according to, you know, time and on budget? What are some of the things you're looking for to make sure it goes smoothly? Um, a lot of time up front being spent on it. You know, I, I see where investors close on a deal and they spend months before they even start on their CapEx. Um, so before closing on a property, you should know your scope of work, exactly what it's gonna be for your CapEx. You should have all your selections or at least be in the process of, of getting your selections done. So you know exactly what you're gonna do and what materials you're gonna use. Uh, you should have your, if it's gonna be a general contractor, you should have him lined up and ready to go. If you're gonna sub it out um, and have different subcontractors, you should have that ready to go as well. Uh, should have somebody in your team that's, that's designated to um, be in charge of it. You know, even if you're hiring a general contractor, who's going to be the point of contact. Um, one mistake I've seen done quite a bit is not really having that individual. And then your contractor gets a lot of different opinions from different individuals. Um, and it's a lot easier if it's just one source uh, coming from one source them two on the same page um, and then just, you know, getting it done, getting, getting started day one and, and sticking to the plan and the schedule. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds really important having that plan up front and knowing what you're going to accomplish and then really jumping on it day one and, and not having that, those delays. So when you're creating that business plan, that value add business plan and creating your scope of work, 
you know, what are you really looking at to determine, let's say, how many units to renovate, what types of finishes you're going to put in, um, how much dollars you're going to put into each unit? Like, what are some of the key things to help you determine those those factors? Are you kind of coming in with a set kind of template of what you look to do on uh, any any property that you look to syndicate, or are you really kind of uh, doing a big variation uh, on the pro specific properties that you look at acquiring? Yeah, there's a um, lot of variables there, man. Um, you know, I guess I would start with with your projected exit plan. You know, um, how long do you plan on holding the property for? Is it a C class? Is it a B class? How far are you going to push it as far as the renovations? And um, then as far as rent upgrades, you know, what we're never looking to reinvent the wheel. So we're going to have our comps and what we're trying to um, hit. You know, we may do something minor that kind of sets it apart, but it, it'd be pretty minor. Um, and then as far as how many units, you know, we always like to leave some meat on the bone. So for us to go in and do 100% of the units would be very rare. Um, we like to leave anywhere from 50% to at least 25% of units untouched. Um, yeah, and, and why is that? For some of the people that might not understand that, I mean, you hear that all the time, leave some meat on the bone especially for your exit plan to know who your seller is going to be. But why is that for some of the people that might not understand why wouldn't you renovate hundred percent of the units? Yeah. I mean, unless, unless going into it, we're saying that this is going to be a long, long, long-term hold, you know, 10 plus years. Then the reason we do that is so that when we go to sell it in five years, seven years, whatever it is that um, there's some value add component to it when we go to sell it. For that buyer yeah exactly yeah, and just having that end buyer kind of knowing who what they might be looking for it kind of allows you to know exactly what your business plan and your renovation plan is going to be so you can kind of plan that up front and um you know it could be a big mistake if you don't know that up front and you could look to exit and you're like you don't really have a buyer because you've like you said taken all the meat off the bone and then you just don't have a large pool of buyers of other syndicators that might look to be doing a similar type of value add plan. So on that note, what are some of the other mistakes that you see others make in the, you know, implementation of a CapEx uh, renovation plan? Like what do you see others stumbling blocks that, that they've made along the way that kind of led you to want to go in and create your own construction company to manage the, the projects yourself? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've mentioned probably the, the main ones I'll kind of go through it again though, you know, um, one is not starting quickly enough and not having that plan in place. Um, two is being very disconnected from it, from the CapEx and just counting on the property manager to take care of it. Um, three is, is not aligning what you're doing with, um, like pretty much fixing up the property too much. If, if, if you're not gonna, get the, the return on your investment, then, then why do it? You know, I mean, I understand improving the, the community and I'm all for that, but you know, at some point it's got to make sense financially as well. Yeah. So with you kind of taking on the project yourself 
And typically a lot of other syndicators will go out and have the property manager implement the plan, do the renovation. Now, how do you go out and find, like, are you actually managing the property yourself? Are you going out doing the renovation and then just having a, a third party property manager involved as well? Yeah, I mean, there, there'll be a property manager involved for sure. The communication's gotta be open. It's gotta be um, very clear, especially when we're doing the, the interior units. Uh, we're, we're usually having weekly meetings at least, uh, depending how many units we're, we're fixing up at a time. Um, we're all about the communication, you know, communication with the residents, communication with the property manager, communication with the owners. Um, we use a software that keeps everybody in the, on the same page. Um, everybody gets our updates as we go through the project. And like I just mentioned, you know, having meetings and making sure. Yeah. Uh, what, what's going on. what are some of the key metrics you're looking for when you're tracking your, your property manager, making sure that they're, they're managing things effectively and, and making sure that, you know, you're hitting your targets and, and everything's running smoothly. Like what are some of the things you look for when you're asking, Hey, Mr. Property manager, can you, can I give me a report? Give me an update, how things are going on your end. Yeah. I guess you're talking about like asset management. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got several KPIs we like to look at. Uh, you know, we're constantly comparing our our actuals to our budget. Um, I've noticed if you leave that up to the property manager, that rarely gets done. Most of the times, they won't even know what your budget was, even though it was given to them. Um, uh, if you want to see your turnover, you know, how's that looking? Um, your traffic, how much traffic do you have going in? How much of that traffic are you converting? Um, work orders, how many work orders are, are sitting there? How many days have they uh, gone without getting addressed? Um, a bunch of other stuff, you know, the your rent, obviously you wanna, um, the rent you're trying to hit and- yep. Now like, what are some of the ways, I mean, obviously it becomes a big, big thing in the asset management role of making sure you can trust a property manager that can deliver, that's done similar types of properties and, and has a track record. What are some of the ways you're going out and finding somebody that you can trust? And I don't know, is there some level of vetting that you kind of do? Could you kind of share what you do to kind of find the best property manager to, to manage your properties? Yeah. Yeah. So we first, First things first is we try to get referrals. We try to, we reach out to other investors that, um, you know, we, we do a lot of networking. So we know a lot of other investors. So if they, if we know they own property in whatever that area is, we'll reach out to them, ask them who they're using. Uh, if we can't find anybody that way, you know, even if we do find somebody that way, we still vet them. Um, we like to see their processes and procedures for pretty much everything, um, what their reporting looks like, um, their criteria for residents and how they approve them. Um, just a, a lot of questions up front. Um, kind of get to the bottom of it before we get into that relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, cause it's a long-term relationship and especially if you're doing a hold for five plus years, 
I mean, you want to have somebody in place that you can trust to manage the property effectively because the last thing you want is to go in and, and skimp on the due diligence up front on the property manager and then go in with them. And then you're like, oh, wow, they're not delivering on expectations. And then you've got to go and go through the whole process of swapping them out or something like that can, can uh, dramatically impact a deal and cause a lot of headaches along the way. So you're better off doing that work up front to really verify that you're working with somebody credible that can deliver. So let's talk a little bit about what you're working on now. Like what, what target markets are you looking at? What do you like about them? And uh, can you kind of high, give some high level overview of where you're currently investing? Yeah, so I mean, we have properties throughout Texas and, and Oklahoma. Um, and then we've got two properties. So since COVID hit, uh, we started looking at some, some other markets and um, South Dakota kind of stood out to us. It's not as uh, dense and um, it's just fared really well during this whole pandemic. So we've got one that we're closing now in Rapid City and then another one that's coming right after that in Sioux Falls. Um, and then we're looking at, uh, you know, the your main cities, at least in, in Texas, you know, your Austin, your Dallas, um, not so much Houston, but Houston can get there. As far as pricing, it's gotten a little uncomfortable for me as far as how high the pricing has gotten. Um, so we, we look a lot at the submarkets and um, the ones that are, are have a diverse economy and the population's growing. Um, we're really targeting those now. Yeah, what's kind of stood out to you for taking a look at South Dakota, I think you mentioned, what has really stood out to you about these, these particular, or this market that, um, yeah, was kind of attractive for you. Like you said, it's kind of been something that you've made a little bit of a pivot to look at uh, these markets in uh, the pandemic, but yeah, what is it that kind of stuck out about these markets along the way? Just the fact that it's got more more room to grow, um, and these data is there showing that you know it, it can definitely grow, um, and just trying to keep those returns at a at a good level. You know, it's uh, you can go when you go into like let's say a Dallas, right? Um, great economy, still growing for sure, but that room for growth is kind of getting smaller and smaller. Um, yeah. So you can get decent returns, they're just not going to be very high returns. Yeah. What kind of uh, cap rates are you kind of seeing in from the Dallas, from the Austin, and then also in, in different markets in South Dakota? What, what are you kind of seeing as average in those types of markets? And Dallas, you're, you're in, the, in the fours. Um, and then in your South Dakota, you're more like in your six or seven. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what's, how are you kind of staying up to date on these trends? Like, do you, how are you researching? Do you have any software that you're subscribing to, to kind of stay up to date on market trends? Are you, um, yeah. How do you kind of gather all this data and then, then put it together in a digestible way to make sure that you can, yeah make the right choices for markets that you enter? Yeah, uh, we have CoStar and, and CoStar has got some decent reports. That's usually where we start. 
Um, and then locally, we have relationships that we build with, with brokers or um, lenders. And then they usually have access to um, some of their local reports, like a CBRE type report, um, just constantly checking on those things. Great. Yeah. So especially now it's, it's more important than ever to kind of be conservative in projections and making sure that uh, things can withstand a drop in occupancy or uh, yeah, slowing down in the amount of cash that's being collected on a monthly basis. So what are you kind of doing to stress test your deals to make sure that you are being conservative and you can hit your projected returns uh, throughout the whole period in this kind of interesting time with the pandemic? For sure. Um, you know, we, as far as our organic rent growth, we're, we're keeping it pretty minimal, um, especially right now, year one, we're doing 0%, like no, no organic rent growth. And then um, from then on, probably keeping it at a, at a 2% depends on, on the market, of course. Uh, so that's one, you know, not being so aggressive with the rent growth. And then even if there's a large loss to lease, we're being conservative with that too. You know, we're not assuming that we can reach that market rent. Um, and then uh, being really exact with our expenses. So at this point, I don't think we use any rule of thumb anymore. We've thrown those all away. Um, and as far as insurance, we make sure that we get an actual quote. Um, taxes, we have a, an individ, individual look at it, a tax appraiser, um, actually take a look at it and tell us what they think. And uh, yeah, just getting really exact with our numbers. Yeah, and it's really important time to sharpen the pencil and yes. really take a second hard look at those numbers. and. And I mean, earlier on when the economy was going up and up and up, like you could take a little bit of a, uh, yeah, not be as precise and you could kind of expect that things were going to, rent's going to increase and, and cap rate might compress further. But I mean, now we just got to be ultra conservative and, and really look at each line item and make sure that we're, we're thinking about things and being more conservative and, and uh, definitely highlighted some important things to look at and consider. So would you mind kind of sharing about a, a deal that you've kind of done in the past? You know, what, what, how many units, what did you buy it for? And, and some of the high level uh, details on renovations that you completed, could you kind of highlight a, a deal that you liked? Um, yeah. You know, I've got one right now that we're working on uh, refinancing, doing a cash out refi. And we should be able to return all the investors capital on it. So Went pretty well, uh, 216 unit in, in Oklahoma, uh, a lot in Oklahoma. And we came in, we did a full exterior renovation. You know, we painted the brick, painted the siding, um, fixed the parking lots, we striped them, um, did a all new signage throughout uh, fixed up the amenities and then um, did about renovated about half the units there. So they were all classic. We came in and did um, 
50% of them. And um, it's going well, even through this uh, pandemic, we've been able to get the occupancy up where it needs to be for the refi and um, starting the process now. Yeah, so how long ago did you actually acquire the property? And is that typical of your deals to kind of go in and, and do a refi and uh, return some of the capital uh, in the middle of the deal? Or or what was kind of the details on from point of purchase to like how many years or you know, time elapsed between you doing that refi? Yeah, so we purchased this in, uh, I believe it was June or July of last year. Uh, came in with a bridge. Occupancy was was pretty low on it. Um, I want to say it was maybe just at 80%. Um, and then we even had to bring it down a little bit lower than that when we first got it. Um, clean up some of the, the tenant base. And um, we knew we were going to have a refi cash out. Uh, the goal was to get the investors uh, capital back. So it looks like we'll, we'll be hitting that. Yeah, and then do you just leave them in the deal as well? Or are they completely paid back and they've got their returns or do they actually continue on um, get a, their equity stake in the deal as well? Yeah, so I've seen it done differently um, in this type of structure. We're, we're, we're keeping them in the deal, but we did also, they did also come in with a lower percentage than, than your standard um, because we knew we would be doing this. Right. So yeah, what were some of the ways that you, well, how did you find this deal? How did you kind of go about it? Was it a broker relationship off market or how did you kind of track this one down? This was off market. We uh, exported data from COSAR and, and called up the owners and uh, ended up speaking to this owner and, and getting it under contract. Is that kind of your primary way of finding deals? Are you, um, calling owners directly or what's kind of your main source of, uh, getting these deals that you're, you're buying. You know, main source has been, has become, or was for a bit, uh, through brokers. Um, but to get the better pricing, um, just like in, in single family, um, you know, going straight to the owner is the best. So, We've kind of reverted back to that, especially now with the way the market is. Um, we want to make sure we're getting it at a good basis. Yeah. And, and how much equity was required to be raised for this deal? And um, yeah, how did that process go? Um, gosh, what was the equity? I want to say we needed maybe five million or so. It wasn't that big. Um, you know, we came in at 28,000 a door. So even though it's 216 units, it wasn't a, a massive um, purchase price. And then uh, we had a co-GP on the deal. So we, we raised it together. It's pretty much half and half. Yeah. So do you go out on your capital raises? Are you typically doing a, a 506B or a 506C type offering? Um, the last few we've done 506Cs. Um, you know, we've got, most of our investors are accredited, accredited. So the fact that you can market the deal with the 506 C, uh, we've been going that route. Right. And how, how have you been able to source your investors? Like what has kind of been, you know, working for you really well to kind of build trust and, and get your 
get your name out there in terms of you know, finding new accredited investors and people that can participate in your deals? Well, before COVID, <laughs> it was networking, um, you know, getting out there and and meeting the investors and, and setting up meetings with them. Um, now it's more, we've, we've created a strong presence online with our different uh, social media platforms and then providing as much uh, free education as we can. And then um, doing Zoom, Zoom meetings or investors are starting to be okay with, with meeting one-on-one -on -one again. So we're starting to go back to that. Yeah, and there's always, especially this time, should be that caveat of, of okay, how did I do things pre-COVID? How did I do things post-COVID? And definitely been a big, big uh, switch for a lot of people and adjusting to this virtual environment. And and uh, but yeah, I know I definitely see you building quite a presence online. And I mean, you're quite active on LinkedIn. You've got you're appearing on numerous podcasts and just getting your your name out there. It seems to be working quite well to to gain exposure for yourself, for your group, and and you know attract partners, attract passive investors and and it seems like it's been been working quite well for you. So, you know, one piece of advice um, I kind of want to pull up, pull out from you from you know the the passive side of things for those uh, individuals interested in passive investing and, and trying to learn the ropes and what they need to understand or find potential syndicators to invest with. What's kind of your your top piece of advice for somebody that's kind of just kind of looking at dipping their toes in into passive investing? Do you have any? you know, top advice that you'd recommend to somebody? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a whole list of questions um, that I ask before investing in any deal. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it starts with, with the deal team, um, get to know them, uh, ask a lot of questions as far as their, their track record. If you can speak to, some of their investors that have invested with them before. Um, and I mean, I, I, I have a whole checklist. I, I get, I get very detailed on the CapEx. So I want to know how the CapEx is getting done. Um, last thing I want to do is get into a deal that's, uh, doesn't have the, the proper funds to execute its business plan. Um, and then really just trusting that team that they can, uh, they can work through situations like we're in now, you know, that, that is a strong team and they can, they can figure it out. Yeah, totally. And it really comes down to that team, building that trust, you know, having the track record in place and, and asking the right questions up front. And I think you've, you referred to having a checklist there. I'm not sure if you have some type of downloadable PDF or something like that, but if you do, I can definitely uh, tag the, the link in the show notes and uh, let, let my, my, uh, my audience kind of, get access to it if they if they wanna learn more about the passive investing side of things. So last thing here is we're gonna take it into the final four questions where you give short to the point answers. So first one here, what is your favorite real estate or business book? Real estate or business book? Yeah. Um, I'll mix it together. There's a e-myth, e but for real estate investors, um, so yeah, I'll mix those two together, business and real estate. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that was, you know, right on the fly. We're able to identify a great book. And I mean, E-Myth is fantastic on the business side. And I actually don't even know if I've checked out the E-Myth for the real estate investors. So that's definitely a great recommendation. So what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? Oh, shoot. 
Just one? <laughs> yeah, you got to boil it down to one. Yeah. You know, honestly, I wish I, I knew more about multifamily when I got started and I didn't uh, spend so many years in single family. Yeah, great point. I mean, multifamily is so scalable and you hear a lot of, a lot of people making that jump and that transition from single family to multifamily for, for these reasons that we've been chatting about. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Um, I don't know if successful in real estate, but, uh, you know, I working out, working out every morning, uh, gets my day started right and, uh, keeps my energy level up. Yeah. And I, I mean, even on the social media side of things, I definitely took that from you as something that you're passionate about working out. I mean, I see you doing a lot of posts, you know, either in the gym or I think I saw that one the other day where you're you know, on a little trampoline or something like that, that you do to bounce, bounce on to get, uh, yeah, just get a good exercise, keep, stay fit, stay healthy, get the blood, blood pumping. And, and uh, yeah, no, something I should really get on top of is, is getting more into the exercise and, and staying healthy. So what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? I, uh, I love playing basketball and I love spending time with my kids, no matter what we're doing. Great. And this is a, this is a, an additional question because he had a, a good one there. He said, do you like to play basketball? Can you dunk? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm too old for that now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was pretty close at one point. Uh, yeah. but I'm not going to say I could. <laughs> well, it's, it's with, all, with all that bouncing and that tramp, maybe you'll, maybe you'll, uh, you'll get some you know, working on your hops and maybe you'll, you'll have that soon in no time, even if, even if age is against you. So last thing here, how can our listeners get in touch with you? And maybe even this could be a place to drop. If you have any, any resources you'd like to, to share with my audience, what would be the best way to get in touch with you or get some of those resources? For sure. We've been uh, updating our site quite a bit. I mean, if they go to elevatecig.com, so it stands for Commercial Investment Group, elevatecig.com. Ton of content there. And then if they want to shoot me an email, it's George, J-O-R-G-E, at ElevateCIG.com. I've got uh, several links, one of them being those questions to ask uh, a syndicator. I can Perfect. Yeah, great. Yeah, really generous of you to kind of share your, your, your contact info and, and having that those resources for, for people to kind of learn and, and gain knowledge about this space. And uh, you're adding a ton of value and appreciate you coming on the show to, to add a lot of value to my audience here. So thanks again, George, and uh, we'll have to talk again soon. Thank you. Okay, take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.